Hello, Red Fam listeners. This is Jen and Hannah. You're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, and I believe we're also on Google Podcasts. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And if you would like bonus episodes, please also check us out on Patreon, where we release a bonus episode every Thursday. So on today's show, we are going to be talking about whether the gender critical movement is the inheritor of the second wave, and also whether it's the inheritor of radical feminism itself. So Hannah, you have some thoughts on this. Uh, Tell us what you think. Well, I actually think it might be the inheritor to radical feminism, more so than the inheritor to the second wave in general. I think the second wave can be understood as a explosion of women's rights and feminist activism. Um, you know, the women's liberation movement or women's lib, as people called it in the 80s and 90s. It was a mass sort of social change that happened across sectors and across society. And I think radical feminism was a specific strand of that and represented a specific ideological tendency within that. And I think that we, the gender critical movement, sure, you can say that has led to a kind of more of an awareness of women's rights in general, could be, but it's actually because ra- the radical feminist analysis of transgenderism that has been that since the 70s and 80s has become popular, it's led women to think, oh, what else about radical feminism? Do I agree or disagree with? What about prostitution? What about surrogacy? So I think there's much more of a case that it's the inheritor of radical feminism rather than general second wave feminism. Because it's encouraged women to think about men and women as classes. Yeah. So I think that the thing about transgenderism and the debates around single sex spaces and self ID, it has re established the analysis that it doesn't matter what kind of man you are. Um, if you're a nice man, a bad man, a gender conforming man, a gender non-conforming man, a man with a fetish, a man without a fetish, whatever, a man as a man as a man, and men as a class oppress women as a class. So therefore we have provision to account for that in single sex spaces. And that's it's that analysis of men as a class versus women as a class which I think is fundamentally radical feminist um, as opposed to the second wave in general. Yeah, I agree. I just think that what people would say is that the gender critical movement, because it's only focused really, I mean, it's a single issue movement. It's about transgenderism that a lot of people would say, well, there are gender critical women who are also say anti-abortion thinking about someone like Louise Perry. But then the argument to that would be, well, are those people really gender critical? Or are they not just traditionalists? And I think there'd be something in that, but that doesn't that doesn't actually bolster your argument for you know, gender critical feminism being the inheritor of radical feminism. But I do think that a lot of people who are actually just traditionalists when it comes to gender roles get put in the GC bag because the GC movement is critical of transgenderism. Yeah, not to get all linguistic and semantic about it, 
but is what is meant by gender critical? Is it a woman who is critical of gender roles, gendered norms, um, wants to undo gendered expectations in society, um, and believes in the primacy of sex being like the prime axis of oppression. So it really matters. The sex doesn't matter if a man or woman is gender nonconforming. They're still organized socially based on sex, whatever. Or is it just critical of gender in law as opposed to sex in law? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of what the gender identity lobby want is to basically replace sex with gender or gender identity in law. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I would say that GC feminism is the, that's maybe separate to the GC movement because some people will, you know, say they're not feminists or whatever, or, or would have positions that wouldn't be particularly feminist. I don't know. But I would say it's the inheritor of the second wave precisely for the reasons you've said about this explosion of activity, people noticing that men and women are a class, being invited to think about things in that way, understanding that that is the fundamental way, or at least one of the fundamental ways our society is organized. I would say it's more the inheritor of the general second wave than specifically radical feminism, just because it is hard for me, because I, I think it's a bit of a single issue that leads to other activities, but that's but there's a range of that. Rather than, I, I kind of still think of radical feminism as, you know, does it necessarily have to include things like abortion? But I don't know. Today, one of the ways I often explain radical feminism, when people ask what it is, I'll say, oh, roughly it means you're against transgenderism, pornography, and prostitution. And that is not a bad bag, I think, for people to understand like, oh, okay, if you're lumped in that category, then you're a radical feminist. Because I almost think that's the modern day version. And again, most GC women would fall into that because they understand a critique of gender. So sort of like the criticism of transgenderism has led then to a critical approach to gender roles and understand that, you know, if you're a woman who doesn't fit in with a traditional feminine gender role, you know, you're still a woman kind of thing. Um, but then th there is this argument that sometimes I can't help but notice that there is a real thread of traditionalism. You can sort of see it when, so a young woman will, you know, out of whatever reasons, sexual abuse, social ostracism, confusion, whatever, will have transitioned and be identifying as a man for, I don't know, let's say age 18 to 24, and then she will uh, desist. So many supposedly GC women will lament that girl's transition and go, but oh, look how beautiful and pretty she was. And they'll use words like pretty and they'll say, oh, it's so sad. It's such a waste that now she looks boyish. Whether that's part of like, even after the, the detransition, right? The fact that she actually just wanted to be a non-conforming woman and look boyish or whatever. I do see that quite a lot. And then I think, yeah, it brings up the question for me. Can you really actually just want gender conformity, but not to the extent that you support transgenderism? Because I just think actually transgenderism is a form of gender conformity, um, but you have a kind of traditional idea of gender conformity. Uh, rather than a, the postmodern idea of it or the modern idea of it. 
And I just think, well, yeah, you're not you're not actually against gender. But then but then do you have to be like a gender? You probably don't have to be like a gender abolitionist um, to to be considered GC. But this thing of understanding when I talk about gender ideology, I don't just mean transgenderism. I also just mean the idea that women should be feminine, boys should be masculine. And as much as that underpins the logic of transgenderism and gender identity, it also works to do a lot of other justifications of like the naturalness of heterosexuality, the naturalness of women's domestic labor, blah, blah, blah. So for me, it's an easier claim to verify, to say, well, what we have now is a diverse gender critical movement that takes on sometimes different positions on other topics similar to how the second wave did you could find groups that were very different that were all part of the second wave or divergent uh, views and then i think okay that that's an easier claim but i also understand what you're saying about the radical feminist aspect which is that it's got people to think about men and women as a class and that actually opposing transgenderism i mean it's much more normalized now but five years ago you had to go so far out on a limb. You were so considered a radical just for making the most obvious statements that in that respect, does that not then mean that it is a kind of new branch or modern frontier of a a renewed radical feminism? Yeah, potentially. And I think that I can't exactly remember the argument, but Holly Lawford Smith makes the case in her book, um, I can't remember its name. The one with the the yellow. Convert. I think it's just called gender critical feminism. Okay, isn't it? Yeah. I don't. I can't remember. It has a, a yellow converse on the front and a yellow high heel. Anyway, she makes the case that it is the inheritor of this. I can't remember that whether it was a second wave or radical feminism, but I remember being very convinced by that. And then, basically, the the feminists who believe themselves to be the radical edge. Of radical feminism, basically the the lesbian separatist political lesbians slash female separatists were quite outraged by this claim because they see themselves alone as the inheritors, right? Because they want it to be the not just that they're considered the most radical, but that they're the most important, which I think isn't true. Um, but yeah, there's a good argument in that that I don't quite remember, but I do remember being convinced by it, and I think that. I mean, as I do think that like the gender critical movement, it's the inheritor of something, whether it's the broad second wave or whether it is the actual tradition of radical feminism. It's clear that there is, you know, it's the it is the key driver of women's thought on the feminist question today. Yeah. And I think this is where we get into, I mean, it becomes semantic and a bit silly, but I think it is maybe worthwhile um kind of clarifying or untying the knot of what really is radical feminism or if a woman is a radical feminist who really is she um you know you have the four controversial issues um prostitution pornography transgenderism or gender identity and surrogacy those are the four controversial issues in many ways radical feminists um, in terms of like political lines and policy, not in terms of theory or whatever, but in terms of political lines and policy, can be seen as quite similar to mainstream feminism against male violence against women, um, against uh, 
yeah, male violence against women, against sexual harassment, for women's participation in society, whatever. But where there is serious divergence and 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 divergence that causes breakups in like political organizations and so on, um, are those four controversial issues. However, it's become a bit of a shorthand to say a woman is a radical feminist. She has uh, th- that position on those four controversial issues. If she's critical of prostitution, pornography, sur- surrogacy, and transgenderism, you can be critical of the four controversial issues and also a conservative from a very different perspective. Something that comes to mind is Ali Beth Stuckey, the Christian talk show host or whatever, is quite vocally critical of those four things. So you see some radical feminists go, oh, just because you're controversial or you're you're uh, critical of those four issues, that doesn't qualify you to be a radical feminist in and of itself. And you think, okay, yeah, that's true. That can be true, right? Like you can't be like a Christian um, influencer and also critical of those four issues. But that then begs the question, what is radical feminism? And the kind of classical definition that you find on the internet floating online among young women is radical means to get at the root. So it has to do with reproduction, the idea that male supremacy began because men realized they had a role in reproduction. And if you control reproduction, you can control bloodline, you can control labor, you can control capital and property. Um, So then there's a whole ideological control of women that goes along with that. And I've seen other definition definitions in Heidi Hartman's book. Oh, not in her book, but the one who did the anthology. She was talking about these lines as they were emerging in the 1960s. And she had a very different definition, which is that radical feminists see all oppression, all subordination as modeled off of men's subordination of women. That is the original oppression. So you can't get rid of capitalism, racism, whatever, without undoing this um but i don't with all those definitions said i'm not sure i I see very much of that in in the world today in 2023 i don't see lots of there's not these huge collectives it's not a major player on the world stage anymore so it leads me to believe yes like is it a bit wonky to say if you are critical of the four controversial issues you're a radical feminist can be wonky but in an effect you kind of are you kind of are it's like when megan murphy went on joe rogan and he said well what is a radical feminist and she said oh it's a woman who's critical of prostitution pornography surrogacy and gender identity and joe rogan said well that's you megan you know I think in effect, save kind of the Christian examples or, you know, those kind of wild cards, I think it can be said to a point that if you're critical of those four issues, it often, and it also often leads women down a line to think more deeply about these topics, and then they come to a radical feminist analysis. So, yeah. I think that, yeah, you've pinpointed what is probably correct in terms of believing that sort of men's entrapment of women and turning women into poverty, you know, millennia ago then became the model of all other oppression and that we need to see capitalism in that way. And the problem is, and this is one of my problems generally with radical feminism, is no one did the theory on that. They just made the assertion, like, where are the competing different theories about how that's true? And how that's a framework 
that is not just edifying, but the number one framework of like how we can then really understand capitalism. I mean, the closest I've even encountered in that, honestly, is reading the the radical notion, right, about the idea that women are a resource. I mean, it borrows from Marxism, and it's kind of what I already thought, this idea that women are sexual and uh, domestic labor resource, and then this is also how other resources were viewed and so on. But even then, it was never, no model was created to understand that. It was never fully kind of worked out. And it, the same kind of way that I think that the fact that feminists, second wave radical feminists were talking about gender roles, but they didn't really explain or expand on what all that means, in terms, like ideologically. So that doesn't just mean ideas, but also practices that reinforce certain ideas. Um, how that's reproduced, because that didn't happen, it meant that there was a space for other people to do that. And then they started talking about gender in this individualistic, you know, wishy-washy, psychical way or whatever, right? The Judith Butlers of the world just had all that space to do that. And like, so for me, I, you know, I, I, I'm happy to hear the radical feminist take that the only way to, or the best way to look at things is this just men versus women patriarchy stuff. But I've never seen a fleshed out model or account, let alone numerous competing accounts, which is what happens when you have an actual theoretical tradition. But what I would want more than that is a fleshed out account of gender, what gender is, and that you can't just say gender is masculinity and femininity and what that means is mas- you know masculinity is male um dominance and femininity is female subordination it's like you're you're going to have to <laughs> tell me more than that and present it you know like like an Altaz- like Altazer's model of ideology you need to let me know how this is institutionally uh reproduced how it's reproduced at a structural level and at a micro level and da 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 because it's there's nothing about it that is a given as much as i can fill gaps in my mind the fact that it wasn't a given is kind of why there was so much space then for gender studies to emerge that had nothing to do with what we would recognize as gender as a set of social relations right underpinned by ideological ideas and practices so the I guess what I'm trying to say is the root of this for me is in long-term inadequacies within feminist theory. So then today when I ask, you know, does being gender critical just mean being critical of transgenderism or does it mean being critical of gender roles or gender ideology, given that the gender ideology has never been, there's never been an account of it or a model presented and, you know, I have have done my research, have looked for it. I have had a conversation on the phone with Jane Claire Jones where she was like, yes, okay, no one ever just wrote a book about that. I'm like, right, exactly. And again, really, if you were going to make this a theory, it would spawn about 12 different books that were wanting to work on the original model or respond to certain claims or finish the discourse or have different arguments or whatever. So yeah in the end it becomes quite a a muddied messy water for me but then i'm but then i'm very disinterested in like purity or saying so and so is not a gender critical feminist because she's okay with gender roles or something because that's the thing like whether you use it colloquially 
on generally as a yeah. term or whether you decide to you know start putting these barriers that people have to jump over um such as i don't know yeah agreeing that all gender norms are wrong or something yeah it often becomes like a purity contest of who is and who isn't and then what ends up happening is the women who see themselves kind of as the purest radical feminists because they've positioned themselves that way online or whatever end up feeling very superior to other kinds of women who are approaching it from different angles and i just find that i find that really boring i also feel like who are you competing with who's paying attention to this competition like what social credit do you think you're getting here like i don't understand i've gotten into um things with people on twitter about you know there was a discussion about how there's a woman going around um i wish i could find her name she's doing a lot of like right wing and christian podcasts and she's talking about how first wave she's written a book i think and a lot of written a book about how a lot of first wave feminists were in fact very de- devout christians were very motivated by christianity were very anti abortion um were very you know it was part of the the suffrage movement was very involved in temperance so about banning alcohol, whatever. And she's kind of promoting this, let's rethink feminism and go back to the first wave, which I think is a very interesting, very interesting idea. And my whole mission in life and on the internet is to make women feminists. So I'm not against it. Like if that's a way for women to get into it, I'm totally, I think that's great. But it, it became a, oh, but you know, these kinds of women and they're using it poorly. And if you're you know, pro-life, you could never have ever, ever, ever done any feminist work to speak of. If you're a Christian, and I was like, really? Christian? A Christian woman has never done any feminist work? That's a crazy thing to say. It's, oh, if you're a fundamentalist. And I said, what's a fundamentalist? And it was someone who opposes birth control. And I was like, well, that's in the catechism of the Catholic Church and represents like 1.4 million people. Like, what are you talking about? Also, lots of radical feminists oppose birth control. Sheila Jeffrey. Yes. The spin affects women. They are against the pill and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, Sheila Jeffries lobbied against Plan B becoming legal in Australia. Um, so I guess my point is, is I think it's quite silly to try and set up a hierarchy when there's a lot more fluidity among these roles. And even if you were to go with the radical feminist analysis, which is these left-wing versus right-wing ideas were created by men, I agree with this to an extent, these left-wing versus right-wing ideas were created by men um, to understand the politics in and among themselves. It's not something that could be very adequately or accurately um, described to to apply to women. Yeah, but that kind of thing just pisses me off. Like Kant invented the idea of objectification. So are we going to decide now that we can't use the concept of objectification? In the end, it does become, it's not just a purity spiral, but a purity test and sort of a purity performance. So the end logic of this, a lot of the time is saying to heterosexual women, you can't really be feminist whilst you're at home, like serving dinner to your sons and husbands. And then you end up with a bunch of women pretend to be lesbians who have sons and husbands because it's to outdo the the others, right? About who's the real feminist, who's the real you know, who's the ethical virgin, really? And I think that 
when you say, well, how do they do it for? Who are they doing it for? They're just doing it for each other. I mean, no one else is watching. It's just a dominance hierarchy. And this is one of the ways that women do a dominance hierarchy is often based on purity and then sort of excluding women that you think are impure. And it all works on this Madonna Hall thing. Um, yeah, who's an ethical virgin and who you can sully as a political slag, basically. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree with what you say. And I think that, I think, you know, it's like when Lenin said in ni- uh, 1915 or something that we had to invent new terms from Marx because the last of that had come out in like the 1870s or whatever. And he just said, well, you know, things have moved on so much. I mean, imagine now, 100 years from Lenin, how much things have changed. But I really do also think things have changed from the second wave. And I find that a lot of people that try to stick to some of the strange sort of, um, not principles, but positions they had in like 1983 just end up seeming so obscure and sort of inappropriate and weird. And I, I just think that if there is any inheritor to the second wave or radical feminism, this is what it would look like. It would look like, you know, Posey Parker's meetings in real life, the, the Let Women Speak rallies. It would look like all of the digital activism that goes on online. It would look like lobbying MPs. It would also look like, like, I don't believe that much as I'm a bit of a traditional leftist, I don't believe that we just have to have a thing of like A to B marches or you're not a real movement or pickets simply or strikes or whatever. I do think that what has clearly worked for for Let Women Speak is this idea of women's speech because that's so prohibited in our society and so much of the ascendancy of transgenderism was about making women too afraid to speak out. The internet is also where most people or a lot of people nowadays find their their mouthpieces. So, yeah, I mean, I absolutely do think it's the inheritor of the second wave. And I think there's a credible case for it being the inheritor of radical feminism, though I maybe think that's slightly less than you. I just think that, yeah, I think it's what gets a lot of women into radical feminism. It's what gets them curious. It's what gets them interested. It has this analysis that is critical of gender roles. It has this analysis of men as a class, oppressing women as a class. Even if you were to ask, like, I don't know, a GC woman who is like a mum of two boys and has a husband and is quite traditional and you were to say say all these things, she's like, oh, but we love men. And those crazy radical feminists say kill all men. And we don't believe that. And that's crazy. But if you were to ask her why she opposes men in women's washrooms, change rooms, prisons, or whatever, it's, it is that analysis. It is. You are a man. You are part of the class that does that oppresses women. So you're not allowed in. That is the radical feminist analysis, whether they like it or not. So I think that, yeah, I think that there is a case to be made. And I think if there, if the claim is, oh, no, 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 but radical feminism is is its own discrete ideology and cannot be just um, defined based on the four controversial issues. Okay, but then what is radical feminism succinctly? And what does that mean in 2023, as opposed to when it was first emerging in the 1960s and what it flourished to be in the 1980s? Um, 
and I see posts that are shared by like teenage girls and young women online that are like, these are the radical feminist positions, um, anti-patriarchal religion, anti-prostitution, anti-pornography, whatever. But that is very different than having a theoretical understanding of what radical feminism actually means in a succinct way. Yeah, that's true. And, and just to make the point, I think the other case for the gender critical movement being the inheritor of the second wave is that were it not to win, we would lose all of the rights gained in the second wave. That's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. We'd lose everything we gained in the second wave with a single stroke of a pen. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts? Um, no, I think that I think that's basically it. I could have more thoughts, but it's a big topic. But yeah, I think that's a good kind of primer into the different waters of all of this for sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Check us out every week on Mondays on Apple and Spotify and Patreon for our bonus episodes on Thursdays. Bye.